I'm WHQR Managing Editor Ben Schachman. Thanks for joining us for this special edition of The Newsroom. Today, a conversation about three Wilmington protesters currently set to stand trial for destruction of property. Tim Joyner, Josh Zeisness, and Nicole Nelson, who many know better as Lily Nicole. All three are members of the Lowercase Leaders. That's a group that emerged in downtown Wilmington in the summer of 2020 in the wake of the killing of George Floyd. The group took a major role in leading protests in downtown Wilmington and asked for wide-reaching changes in the criminal justice system, among other issues. We had initially planned to tackle this issue for our upcoming episode of The Newsroom, airing the first Friday in June. But the trial is this week, on Thursday morning. So, while we'll still be talking about this issue next month, we wanted to make a space for this conversation right now. Before I introduce our guests for this conversation, I want to provide some context. First, because this is an active criminal case, both the protesters, their advocates, and the district attorney's office have all understandably voiced concerns about discussing the details of this issue. We notified District Attorney Ben David that this interview was slated to take place today and discussed some of the issues that would likely arise. I look forward to an equally in-depth conversation with him in the near future. Second, a little factual information about the case. Joyner, Zeisness, and Nelson are all charged with destroying a pro-Trump billboard, a misdemeanor. Joyner is also charged with defacing one of Wilmington's downtown Confederate statues, also a misdemeanor. An additional protester, James Frazier, was charged with both of these crimes, but after entering a prayer for judgment on the monument charge, he had his charges dropped in the billboard case. Frazier told Port City Daily and others he was never told why his charges were dropped. Third, a note about the monument. The Confederate Memorial Monument, erected in 1924, honors Confederate soldiers from the Wilmington area who died during the Civil War. In the summer of 2020, it was spray-painted with a swastika and the BLM logo. This was at least the third time in several years it had been defaced. Less than two weeks later, the city of Wilmington relocated the memorial and another nearby Confederate monument to an undisclosed location. They did this in the middle of the night, and that's where the memorials remain almost a year later. Now, while a 2015 state law prohibits permanently removing them, the city can temporarily move them for public safety reasons. Under the law, the city must restore them to their original location within 90 days of the threat to public safety subsiding, but there's no real statutory timeline beyond that. And there's no concrete definition of what constitutes a public safety risk. The monuments are a contentious issue, and for many years, city officials have said their hands are tied, routinely citing the state law. It is, however, worth noting that since the law was passed, the city has never engaged its lobbyists or legislative liaison to try and change it. Okay, now our guests, Nada Morgani and Jamie McManus. Nada is an activist, organizer, and friend of the lowercase leaders. They've also spent many years working in the nonprofit space, including time spent here in Wilmington. Jamie is also a friend of the LCL and is active in the LGBTQ community. Okay, I'm joined now by Nada and Jamie. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, I wanted to start to unpack all of this, but before I do, I just want to ask Nada, let's start with you. Uh, How do you know Lily, Tim, and Josh? I met Tim during the UNCW days. We were both poets and we became friends. And I met Lily through Sokoto House things um, and working and supporting her as she was doing more and more in Sokoto House. And I met Josh um, when he showed up to do some solidarity work with us as we were resisting um, things that were happening during the RNC in Charlotte. Gotcha. 
So let's let's start to break this stuff down. I want to start with the charges related to the Trump billboard. I know that the DA uh, can't talk directly about this, and I don't think it's fair to ask you guys to talk directly about the criminal charges we're dealing with here. So what I want to kind of do is frame this as we're talking about this, you know, historically and philosophically. So the Trump billboard, you know, I want to give a little context to it. It, it went up um, towards the end of the election cycle in 2020. And the debate has been framed in some of the media as, you know, an act of, you know, First Amendment or, or political free speech versus property rights. Mm-hmm. So what do you how, what are your thoughts on that? I think that we as a community get to define property. And I think that's a really important thing for us to understand, because a few years ago I was property Um And we have the opportunity to shift what we view as property and what we view as racial intimidation and signs of racial intimidation. And we have the ability to disconnect those things to where we can say that signs of racial intimidation are not property. I think that there was a clear message being sent in putting the Wilmington for Trump billboard over the Black Lives Do Matter art installation. And I think there was a lot of privilege in that, too, because if I remember properly, there was a lot of labor, weeks if not months of labor that went into like lobbying, working, um, navigating things with artists and doing, yeah, essentially black organizers doing a lot of work to try and make this Black Lives Do Matter art installation legitimately happen. And immediately after all this labor that was put in essentially like begging white folk to acknowledge that black lives do matter, um, there was an immediate symbol placed above that um, that said Wilmington for Trump. And I'm not going to go like deeply into the history of like what Trump has done to the black community, but we know that there was there's a lot of negative history there. And there's a lot of harm being enacted by putting that directly over uh, Gervais Park, by putting that directly over the Black Lives Do Matter art installation when it could have gone anywhere else in town. I think the thing that we need to be asking ourselves is, what is the message that they were trying to send by putting it there. And yeah, I think that they should answer for that. Um, I think that's a really important question that has not been asked of them. Um, or is it, if it has been asked of them, they haven't answered it. I mean, I, I can say that the the pushback I've heard was that it's freedom of speech. You can put a you know political ad anywhere. But yeah. your point is that... Well, but why? Of all right? the billboards... Putting it there sends a message. Interesting. Uh, Jamie, say more about that. Putting it specifically there says so much more than putting it on 17 or on 40 or on 140 because even though those are high lanes of traffic like they want it there because it's significant to be there Mm -hmm. to say that we don't care about what you put up this is really how we feel and sure like really anyone can say freedom of speech i can like do anything harmful i can do like lots of harmful things and say well freedom of speech i have a legal right to do this at the end of the day the question is still why not Mm -hmm. we're not asking do you have a right or do not have a right the question is why did you do this when you knew this was would be viewed and that it would be seen and that it is an act of racial intimidation yeah let me ask this this is and I maybe made the mistake of going into the comment section on, <laughs> on some of the media coverage of this. And as a journalist, you know. I'm so sorry. Hey, it's my job. It's, <laughs> don't feel sorry for me. Um, but, you know, one of the sort of retorts or rejoinders I saw a lot um, phrased with varying levels of you know, eloquence was basically, you know, how far can you take this logic? Even if we accept the, the proposition that the Trump billboard was an act of intimidation, you know, how far can you go? Um, and I, you know, heard people reference 
the um, you know there was a, a candidate uh, for the county commission, Kyle Horton, who's a liberal progressive. Um, someone was tearing up her signs. Mm -hmm. So the the counter argument. I want your thoughts on this. Uh, that I saw a lot was, you know, well, can anyone just destroy any political sign that they don't like? I don't believe in punitive punishment. Um, so I don't believe that people should be in jail or prison or being, like, physically harmed as a result of, in the same way that they said that this um, Wilmington for Trump billboard was a symbol of freedom of speech. I think that this is also an act of freedom of speech. And I don't think that the way to move regarding this is punitive. I think the holistic movement with these kinds of things are the way to go because I don't think that people destroy signs or billboards or any of those things without a reason. And politicians do cause harm, extreme harm, to the point where a community may decide that we don't want to see their signs, we don't want to see their symbols in our town. And I think the community has the right to do that without people being punished, punished punitively. So uh, sort of a follow-up to this, mm -hmm. are you aware of, and I know you're not directly involved in this, but are you aware of any efforts to mediate this before it went to the criminal court system? I don't think so. I'm not either. I have not I heard. I don't think so, like, no. There was no. never any conscious effort to mediate anything. Okay. As far as everything was concerned, any time that something was done, there was an immediate response, and it was always to target the same couple of people mm -hmm. for the same potential crime that happened. And by immediate response, we're, we're talking about law enforcement mm -hmm. getting involved. In, yes. All right, all, right. all right, so that's... We can come back to this, but um, that's some of the context around the Trump billboard incident that I was looking for. And then the the other issue um, is the Confederate statues in downtown Wilmington, mm -hmm. which we which you already mentioned. Um, so they've again, for context, they were put up in the 20s and 30s by the daughters of the Confederacy, um, widely regarded by historians as um, instruments of you know racial intimidation, mm -hmm. put up around polling places by either by the Ku Klux Klan or by people closely associated mm -hmm. with the Ku Klux Klan. Mm -hmm. uh, around the height of Jim Crow, you've got black populations are now um, in the ascendancy in the economic world, they're voting, and th these were basically, you know, warning signs. Mm -hmm. And they're not, I mean, for those who aren't familiar with downtown Wilmington, um, these are right sort of in the center of downtown Wilmington yep. um, at 3rd and, uh, and Market Street. Um, so the charges, and again, not asking you guys to speak on the charges, but the, the charges are that they were uh, they were defaced, and that then led to um, the city taking them down to their aforementioned undisclosed location. Mm -hmm. um, and this is, you know, this has not been, this is not a new argument. Um, but I want to I, I just take a moment and say this. As a as a white guy, as a cisgendered white dude, it's I can intellectualize what it might be like to see that statue, but I cannot, I can't sit here and pretend I know what that is like. Um, so I kind of want your perspective, not just on that, but your perspective on what happened with the statues and their existence at all. Yeah, um, I think you offered really good context. I think one piece that maybe wasn't mentioned was that they were also a form of historical colonization. Mm -hmm. There was a rewriting of history that happened with those Confederate monuments where the Daughters of Confederacy were intentional about making sure that those statues, the plaques on those statues, told a specific story about the Civil War that may not have been accurate, that was not based in the reality of racism and white supremacy and black massacre and black genocide that was so deeply tied to the Civil War. Um, 
So in that, like, I, yeah, see the billboards, or I see the um, statues the same way that I see the billboard. I don't see them as property. I see them as signs and facets of racial intimidation. I see them as structures and part of systems that are responsible for the amount of black folk that have left Wilmington. Um, I see them as these really wildly harmful figures that show that the politicians, that the city is proud of the massacres of black folk that's happened. It's proud of what's happened to the Wilmington 10, that there is not a legitimate attempt to move past this racial history, that the goal more so is to honor it and to continue that historical colonization to where the history isn't being pre presented accurately. Um, yeah, and folks are to the point where now folks are being responsible for their own colonization because they're not getting the education um, and their education that they are getting is like intentionally framed to benefit white supremacy. Um, I think it just causes a lot of harm. I think it causes an extreme amount of harm to have a symbol like that in a community. So I want to pull the camera back a little bit and talk about, you know, some of both the, the legal concepts we're dealing with here and sort of some of the philosophical concepts. Um, because even though, you know, the Trump billboard issue and the monument issue have very different legal specific issues, I think we're having as a community or communities, because we're not all one community, mm -hmm. as communities, we're having sort of a similar conversation about both of them. So the first thing I want to get into is this idea of um, what you brought up, you know, what's illegal, what's considered vandalism, what's property, mm -hmm. um, arguing about whether we should view this through the lens of, uh, you know, property rights crime, or should we view this through the lens of a broader protest movement? Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, let's start there. What, what do you, th what do you think about, you know, this, this idea that there are things that you can do that might be misdemeanors, but they might be the right misdemeanors commit? Or to put it another way, that there are sometimes times when there's maybe a more important calculus to pay attention to than, you know, what's... So when does, perfect. like, the right of law supersede what's right and, like, the moral right of what doing what you're doing? That's a good way to put it. Um, I'd say that if if it's a monument that memorializes a, the oppression of a community and it represents fear, anguish, and hatred, then there's no shame in doing something bad to that monument, removing that monument. It doesn't deserve to be there. Nobody deserves to live in that kind of fear every day. Mm -hmm. And I just I do want to just add that it, it the city has never completely specified this, but it did seem like uh, the the actions taken against the monument directly led to their removal after years of apparent inability yes. to do so. I just just for context, I just want to add that. that and that's I think that's really important to name too. Um, mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of how exactly I'd like to frame what I'm about to say next, but I also think that I think when people think of the legal system, they think of this like just unmovable thing that doesn't change and is extremely standard and isn't based in any harmful practices mm -hmm. um, and like is, you know, sort of this impartial existence. And that's not exactly true. Like our legal system was based in white supremacy. Mm -hmm. Like our legal system did define me as three fourths of a person. These are all things that happen through the legal system. So we know that our legal system is flawed and there are situations that happen that show us the true extent to which our legal system is flawed. And there are situations like these where we start to look at what our city and our state is defining as property. Mm -hmm. 
and that shows some of the flaws in the legal system, right? Because maybe I'm not property anymore, but the fact that symbols that are meant to intimidate me are considered property is proof that we're not doing what we need to do. So in a lot of ways, this maybe is a sign to to all the communities in Wilmington and throughout the state of North Carolina that it's time to start changing the laws. It's time to start thinking much deeper about what these laws represent and to stop seeing them as so unmovable mm-hmm. and acknowledge that we have the power and the capacity to change them, to alter them, and to make sure that the legal system that we all are operating under, that we pay taxes into, all these things, um, is actually working in the benefit of the community versus working in the benefit of white supremacy and racism. I mean, I think a couple examples we could give here would be, you know, the war on drugs, Mm -hmm. for example. And I bring that up because District Attorney Ben David has been pretty outspoken about um, what's called decriminalizing marijuana. So it's still Mm -hmm. against the law. But in conversations with me, and I'll interject that because he is not here today. Uh, but he has. This fresh darn. What a shame! <laughs> I, I know you guys look very disappointed. <laughs> uh, but you know, in conversations I've had with him many times, he has talked about the profound racial inequity in the application of drug laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number of young black men, and to a lesser extent, black women who are in our. No, no, I'm, I'm talking vaguely, like in mm-hmm. our New Hanover County yes. detention center. On. Ridiculous bonds mm-hmm. on rather for things uh, as small as paraphernalia. Yeah, for yeah. paraphernalia. And this is you know something that the ACLU has spoken out about, and you know we can have links to the coverage of that in the past. But just to say that he has acknowledged that there is it is not a colorblind law in its mm-hmm. effect. Um, whatever the spirit behind its writing was, we could debate another yeah. time. Great topic for I'm going to say the dreaded words. I'm going to say mm-hmm. it. A great topic for a critical race theory mm-hmm. uh, breakdown or a critical law theory. Um, but for now, just to say. There has been some acknowledgement from local law enforcement that, you know, slivers of this pie. You know, they haven't mm-hmm. tackled the whole thing, but they've started to talk about it. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about, too, is, uh, and this is something that you've talked about at both um, on the, the steps of the courthouse and elsewhere, is about this idea of prosecutorial discretion. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about your thoughts on that. In terms of what Ben David can choose to maybe prosecute and what he can choose and not prosecute. Absolutely. Um, I think that the DA has a lot of power than the community knows the DA has. The DA gets to choose which charges to pursue and which charges to drop. Um, And I spoke a little bit about how I didn't think that it was a coincidence that essentially three months before these charges were heavily stacked against these two black organizers and one white anti-racist organizers, Uh, to where like now they've spent essentially an entire year fighting for their freedom, fighting for their right to not be in a cage. Uh, Three months prior to that, there were three racist police officers in Wilmington who essentially like were caught on tape enacting or um, crafting and talking about a plan to commit black genocide. They had said that they had purchased the weapons to do it. They had intentions to, um, I'm not gonna use the exact language that they used, but they had intentions to mow down um, black folk. They had intentions. And I think one of the scariest things that were said in that conversation was that they had intentions to set us back four or five generations. So they knew that they were causing, like they knew that genocide caused extreme generational harm and they were ready to recreate it in 2021. There was an active plan for a genocide that was planned out by three uniformed law office, uh, law enforcement officers who had been in law enforcement for over 20 years talking about, you know, shooting some a black woman they had arrested the, earlier that day, 
an extremely scary, traumatizing, horrifying thing to hear to the point where like an and firing is not enough. A firing to where they can just easily get another job at another police department is absolutely like not enough and will never be enough. Um, District Attorney Ben David did not choose to pursue those charges. He dropped those charges and those police officers are now free and safe and stress-free. And I think that they're planning to sue the city if they have not actively started the process. Yeah. So I can, I can add a little bit of context here and I, I don't want to interject too much, but I'm, I will say that, you know, I was there and spoke to Ben David when he decided not to press charges. His opinion was that it would not pass muster with a grand jury, let alone in court. He he dead-lettered them, which is a way of basically saying it would be very difficult for them to get a job in public service in North Carolina, uh, not outside North Carolina, and certainly not in any sort of private security industry where a lot of police officers are currently going. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll also say... Um, I know of only one, but definitely one um, of the three officers, uh, I believe his name is Brian James Gilmore, is currently suing the city for his job. Yeah, back. Gilmore is. Uh, and I think that's so interesting. I'm sorry to yeah. cut you off, no, but I think that's so interesting, right, that these cops had a plan for extreme harm, violent harm, that they had bought the weapons for already, and now they are suing the cities as the plaintiff. The city is the defendant, yet black organizers are stuck defending themselves. They, they're not suing the city, right? The city is suing them. Um, they are being harmed in extreme ways and having to fight for their freedom in over a year, having to take on these legal fees, these court fees. And by the way, if folks would like to support them with that, they can send funds to drop the charges ILM on Cash App and Venmo. Um, but they're taking all this on, forced to defend themselves every single day while the cops are suing from position of power. Mm-hmm. District Attorney Ben David, sure, like you can say it wouldn't have gone through a grand tr- jury, all those things, but why didn't you press the charges anyway? And if you know that you did not press the charges against these police officers that enacted extreme harm, why would you go so hard and so extreme to press charges and enact charges and take these um, organizers through trial when... The message that that sends is really, really clear, right? Like, not only are we going to drop charges on racist police officers, but if you attempt to challenge these police officers, if you attempt to challenge the white supremacy that created the conversation that that those police officers had, we are going to throw the book at you. You are considered more dangerous than the people who essentially had a plan for uh, black genocide. And they don't get the same level of attention either with all of this. They're not getting pressure from their own police department on them the same way that anyone who was downtown... Um, the past summer organizing has had over the past year that the police department is actively denying doing while doing it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's ridiculous because it's to a point where you punish one thing, you're punishing the lesser crime and turning your nose at the idea that they were pushing. Yeah. And arguably, I wouldn't even use the language of lesser crime. Like you're punishing people who... I think some, I remember someone used the language of putting out the fire of the burning cross in someone's Mm -hmm. front yard. Like, you're punishing them for bringing the bucket of water, right? Like, in reality, the only thing that was really criminal in this situation is what those police officers did. It's the fact that that billboard was erected over Gervais Park, over the Black Lives Do Matter art installation that people worked months months to make Mm -hmm. happen um those are the only things that i consider criminal i don't consider um and that's not to say that they did it or didn't do it that's not really my concern but i don't consider acts to address criminal things that the city is allowed to happen Mm -hmm. criminal in and of itself 
I think eliminating harm is not harmful. Yeah. Uh, I, again, just a, a minor objection. Um, I had to go back and do some research on this because uh, I'm a local journalist. I don't usually cover FEC, which is the federal election mm-hmm. uh, guidelines. So in this case, it's where it's complaint driven. Mm-hmm. So to your point, the, the Trump billboard was illegally put up. Uh, we talked about this mm-hmm. before. Um, it did not have the required, you know, paid for by. Mm-hmm. Uh, the GOP took over it later, but in, in its initial installment, it was illegal. Yeah. So we actually asked if that was the city of Wilmington issue, if there was anything they can do about it. And really, all they can do is file a complaint like anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your point about the officers, yes, I uh, don't have anything to disagree with you about there. I also would say, uh, and we'll put links for this on the page, because I, I, I would not ask you to talk about this in any more detail than you did. But I, I think it's worth for people to go back, if you've forgotten, and read some of those transcripts that uh, now Police Chief Donnie Williams put in the public domain. Um, it actually took quite a bit of internal negotiating between city council members and the police department um, to basically, if not break, then bend pretty profoundly the state's personnel laws. There is a mm-hmm. caveat in there that allows you to basically release stuff that would otherwise be sealed under the condition that it would basically grossly tank the public's faith in an institution if you didn't. And that's the caveat they used to release that information. But it's it's worth going back, if you if you can stomach it, to, to read it. Because often when we talk about racism, um, uh, we get, again, the comment section, we see these debates about whether or not it's really racist, often mm-hmm. because it's more sophisticated, it's more subtle, it's more structural. And that's those conversations are worth happening. That's not what we're talking about here. Yeah. This was... Explicit slurs, yep. yes. purchasing of weapons, yes. acts of, yeah, like direct conversations about acts to commit genocide. Yes, and that's no. that's not like a sort of metaphorical interpretation. Yeah, like, no, of that, what that was literally happened. happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to move on a little bit um, with the point taken that you know DA's offices in general do have discretion, especially mm-hmm. particularly over misdemeanors, which is mm-hmm. uh, what we're talking about in this case. And if you go to the courthouse, you can you know pull up court records and you can see you know the vast number of, of misdemeanors that are um, that are dismissed. And of course, in my work, I've seen hundreds mm-hmm. of cases dismissed um, for things like uh, domestic violence, um, you know, drunken assault, uh, mm-hmm. people, you know, DUIs, trespassing. Yeah. trespassing. So it is, I mean, again, just for context, it is not out of the realm of possibility that a, a class one, two or three misdemeanor would be, you know, just sort of dismissed and say, hey, you know, you learned your lesson. No. Um, no. We've also seen in so many different cities in North Carolina these mass drops of charges against protesters. We've seen a little bit in Charlotte. We've seen it a lot in Durham. We've seen it in Asheville. Like, yeah, we've seen in essentially every city other than Wilmington, these large movements to say, yeah, challenging white supremacy is not a crime. We're not going to criminalize the people that are supporting our community and doing this work. Durham was an interesting one um, because the district attorney really kind of tried to have it both ways. Mm -hmm. This is my personal opinion, Mm -hmm. but from reading the coverage... It seemed like um, the sheriff had said, no one's getting away with this. And then the DA had to find out, find a way to say, actually, we're dismissing all the charges, but we still think it's wrong. And the, the argument was kind of that, you know, we don't have a very good case mm-hmm. and it, it wouldn't really hold up. It would be kind of a, and this is always the key phrase, would not be the best use of the state's resources. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's the broadest context I can offer for this is that, um, the criminal justice system, whatever you think about it, it is underfunded to do what it is doing right now. Mm-hmm. And the vast majority of people whose cases I see get dismissed aren't because um, the DA feels one way or another about it. It's, it's simply a, a matter of nuts and bolts, man mm-hmm. hours, 
time, money. Being in court is incredibly expensive. Everyone in there is getting mm-hmm. paid. So um, often that is brought up. Um, so it, it, it remains to be seen what the political fallout of what happened in Durham is. But certainly the DA there was comfortable saying this is not the best mm-hmm. use of our, our people's time. And I don't see how that doesn't apply. And thank you for offering that context because I don't see how that doesn't apply here. Trump lost. The billboard's gone. Like, Confederate monuments are, are either in disclosed locations or covered up. Um, it's been a year. Like, what? at this point, what is the point of continuing to pursue outside of sending a message to the black community mm-hmm. that we will throw the book at you if you continue to fight for your liberation? I can't think of, like, tangibly, because these symbols are gone. Uh, what would be the point to continue this process? It's the same, same thinking behind what happened on May 31st. There was no need for that to happen, but it was a point being made. You're talking about the, uh, there was a protest in downtown Wilmington, mm-hmm. started peaceably. There's a couple of different narratives about what happened. I had reporters who worked with me and for me down there, as did you know WCT and Star mm-hmm. News and a lot of the people. Uh, it ended with tear gas being fired at protesters, at reporters, at women rubber and children. Bullets, yeah, rubber bullets, flashbangs, um, and they were throwing them directly into crowded groups of people. Yeah. Like there was no discretion. That's a police tactic called ten- kenneling. Mm-hmm. Y'all were kenneled. Um, well, yes, attacked. we were we were kenneled, but I'm saying the, the degree of it, there was the way that it elevated was not. There was no reason mm-hmm. to start doing that. They literally, the initial point of them putting tear gas out at, at once the dark, like once it went, once it got dark out, that was at that point. From my perspective, and I wasn't. I was down there for that, but I wasn't technically involved in it at the time. Um, that was more of, like, it looked more like target practice. Mm-hmm. It looked more like just playing with some toys. Mm-hmm. And it was a ridiculous response where they had our sheriff's department and then two neighboring county sheriff's departments pulled in as reserve. As well as federal officers. As well as federal officers and then two armored personnel carriers patrolling the streets. Like... There was no reason to, there wasn't even a a large enough number of people to justify that use of force. Mm -hmm. But it was to make a point, and that was all from um, Sheriff McMahon. Mm -hmm. That he did not want that happening in this city, and he was going to put his foot down right then and there. And it's the same response that they give for all of the, everything that's going on right now. It's not, it's a point. There's no moral backing behind what they're doing. It's just to make a point. There's no logical point. backing behind it either. There's no financial backing. No. Like it's not doesn't make sense because these alleged reach. pieces of property are gone. Mm-hmm. So we got just a little bit of time Sorry. left. We're recording this on on Tuesday. Um, the the trial that we've sort of either obliquely or directly been talking about is on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, again, if you guys want to just not comment on it, that's fine. But I, I do want to offer you the chance to sort of f- final thoughts on this. You know. Philosophically, historically, wherever you want to take it, final thoughts I give to you. I think that people should donate money to the Cash App and to the Venmo because this shouldn't be happening, and it is. And unfortunately, like, this is the reality that we are in, and that reality should not be faced solely by the three organizers who are on trial. We as a city should be working together to make sure that they're okay because we are, as a city, are going to be impacted by whatever happens on the 27th. Mm-hmm. The 27th is going to make history. We get to decide whether it's going to be white supremacist history or black liberation history. So I think folks should donate money to drop the charges ILM on Cash App and Venmo. I think that folks should show up for court support on the 27th. And I think that folks should be calling and emailing the district attorney 
and telling them to drop the charges because racial intimidation should be a crime. Mm-hmm. Addressing racial intimidation should not be a crime. I agree. They're drawing same energy, honestly. All right. Well, Jamie, Nana, thank you so much for being here. I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for inviting thank us you. here. Well, that's it for this special edition of The Newsroom. As always, you can get this episode of our show by subscribing on Spotify or iTunes. And if you have questions or comments about this episode or ideas for a future show, uh, contact us at newsroom at whqr.org. I'm Ben Schachman. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us for the next episode of The Newsroom.